Sound of Hockey episode 139. We're calling this one the Ray Bork episode. Why are we calling it that, John? Ray Bork, he had 139 career playoff assists. Wow. Uh, Yeah, he played 22 years in the league, 1,612 regular season games played, and had 1,579 points that's he impressive. was pretty good at hockey yeah pretty good at hockey uh i remember of ray bork that uh when my brother and i like when i was really little we shared a room and we had one of those really cool like early 90s posters of ray bork and i'm pretty sure his said secretary of defense and it had he was in like military fatigues and he was like, <laughs> oh, surrounded it. by a bunch of different like weaponry Ooh, so cool I wish they would bring that that style of posters back. That's pretty legit. Yeah. The the, the company that made those was, was based out of Seattle. I don't know oh. where they are now, but what? Yeah. Well, that's a deep cut. That's way back in the day. Yeah. They did a, they, they did a lot of Seahawk posters like that, but they branched out eventually. And mm-hmm. When Maz. they when they realized that there weren't any Seahawks players to feature what? on those. Oh, the boss. Uh-huh. The boss. There was the Wizard of Boz. There was a Kitty Easley one that I had. I forget. I think that was called the Enforcer. Yeah. Um, I also remember that uh, now that Ray Bork is old, he is a uh, owner of an Italian restaurant in Boston. So I think it's called wow. Borca, Borcacetti's, something like that. <laughs> <laughs> those are the insights our listeners come here yeah. for. 139 yeah. different pasta plates. That's why we're naming it. That's right. <laughs> uh, this... <laughs> this is Sound of Hockey. I am Darren Brown at Darren Fun Brown on the Twitter. Joined as always by Andy Eide. Hello, Andy. How's it going? I'm at Andy Eide on the Twitter. And John Barr. Hello, John. Hello, everybody. I'm NHL to Seattle on the Twitter. And we are coming to you from Seattle. Uh, we have a lovely show this week as we are welcoming Ben Guerrero, the director of media relations for the Seattle Kraken, newly hired away from the San Jose Sharks. Uh, he will be on shortly. Fun interview with him, and he's got some good stories to tell, so stick around for that. Uh, We also have a little bit of Kraken news, as long as we're on the topic of the Kraken. They have hired somebody for their AHL team. Who did they hire, John? Yeah, they hired Troy Bodie as the director of hockey and business operations for the AHL franchise. That's coming up in Palm Springs. Probably will start in 2022 to 2023 season. That's a hard one to say. That was Um, was beautiful mind happening right there. (laughs) I saw the numbers like floating around your head as you were trying to come up. How many 20s are in there? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So uh, Troy Bodie most recently was the director of pro scouting for the Toronto Maple Leafs. I don't know if you've heard of that team before. I've heard a thing or two. Yeah. And he started out there as a scout, but he also played in the NHL about 159 games, I think, according to my notes, I should say. Uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> approximately. Uh, he played with Anaheim, Carolina, and Toronto, but he played he played a lot of games in the AHL as well. And I think he is a Memorial Cup winner. Oh. From a WHL franchise. For the Kelowna Rockets, I believe. That might be the case. Yeah. So there you go. I, I have a bold prediction based on nothing factual or anything that I've heard. But okay. just my bold, random, dart at the dartboard, bold prediction mm-hmm. of where Seattle will share affiliation next season. Okay. As we all know, they have to do that. Yes. And my, my prediction is that they will be playing for the Charlotte Checkers. Who oh. used to be. They used to be Carolina's affiliation. Carolina moved. They're independently owned. And I got to believe that Ron Francis from his time in Carolina has some connections with that franchise. That could make sense. They're not very close. They're quite far away, actually. But for one season. Yeah. That's my prediction. I'm going to take the field. 
I'm going to take the field. <laughs> uh, as long as we're making bold predictions off of no real fact, I'm going to predict that Anson Carter is the second announcer to work with John Forsland on the TV broadcast. Oh, wow. We're just throwing stuff out against just the wall. Just throwing stuff yeah, out geez. against the wall. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We love uh, to speculate here. Yes, yeah. we do. We don't do this often, but as long as we're doing it anyway, I'm gonna yeah. we're going to speculate. Um, but the reason I say that is because I heard John Forsland on uh, the Straight from the Source podcast with Michael Russo, and he was talking about he thinks it's going to be a national person um, and also somebody that maybe you don't expect. So I don't think people necessarily expect Anson Carter because he does like studio stuff. Um, but I also just think that he'd be he'd be awesome and a great fit. So I'm kind of hoping for him. Um, but we'll see. We'll see what happens. Hey, as long as we're talking about the Seattle Kraken, well, it's not even really news, but the NHL draft lottery odds have been updated. Um, and I guess they've been updated because they kind of changed the rule where you can only win twice in five years or something like that. I guess. I don't know. So anyway, the worst that the Kraken can do now is fifth. It used to be the worst they could do was sixth. Now the worst they can do is fifth. So that's an improvement. Um, their odds of winning the lottery are 10.3%. So they're basically have the same as the third worst team, which is also the New Jersey Devils. <laughs> yep. They're behind Buffalo and Anaheim. They have better odds than the Kraken. Yes. Um, so good chances there. Also, there's been some scuttlebutt on the coaching front. So Rick Tockett either is interviewing or has interviewed with the Kraken. Uh, so John, you might get your wish of being able to uh, pick on him for complaining <laughs> to the refs. I'm kind of rooting for that to happen just so John can ask him that question at a press conference. Yeah, I, I think that's going to be awkward mm-hmm. when, when I finally get but I think it'll be great. face to face. Yeah. We, yeah. Need, we need an answer on that. <laughs> Well, and you will get to see him face-to-face, too, because as we mentioned on the show, every time he complains to the ref, he takes off his COVID mask. <laughs> That's a good point. So, <laughs> yeah. Uh, also, Travis Green. So he was definitely in the conversation for a Seattle Kraken coach. He has signed an extension for two years with the uh, Vancouver Canucks. Not sure why he'd want to go back there. But I guess that takes him off the map for Seattle. Uh, Jeff Blaschel extended in Detroit. I don't know that he was ever really in the conversation anyway. Uh, but Dan Bilesma, his assistant, is leaving for other NHL opportunities. I thought that was interesting because Bilesma is a Stanley Cup winner. Uh, I'm curious if there's any interest from the Kraken on Dan Bilesma. We haven't actually heard anything. I was just connecting dots. He, che- that, that, he checks some of the boxes, yep, though, right? Mm-hmm. Yep, former as, as experienced as a coach in the NHL. Yep, won a cup. With he Crosby. could also be John Forslund's color guy, though, because he's a national guy and oh, not expected. So interesting, very interesting. <laughs> very, yeah. Another deep speculation. Yeah, you topsy turvied, <laughs> topsy turvied that. Uh, and then the other one that is, it feels really off the wall, but there sounds like there's some smoke with this fire. Uh, Joel Quenville. Now he is under contract with the Florida Panthers. So where is this coming from? Well, it, it started earlier in the season, and I heard. Uh, Elliot Friedman from Sportsnet just kind of out loud wondering if there was a, a possibility of a match there. Somehow Quinville could get out of his contract, whether that would be mutual or if he got fired, but I don't think he's going to get fired, that he would be a fit in Seattle. He's, he's mentioned that a couple of times on, on his 31 Thoughts podcast, but no real, I mean, he wasn't saying he heard this or that he had you know sources saying this is, this is something that works, just something he wondered about. He was speculating the way that we're speculating. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like we always do, big speculators. <laughs> yeah, he's just throwing something against the wall. But then uh, this weekend in the New York Post, Larry Brooks, who covers the New York Rangers, had an article and he had, a, he had a, a, like a little notebook at the end of it. And he, he said he also was hearing these rumors that there's there's some some scuttlebutt out there somewhere that Quinville could be eyeing uh, uh, coming to work for the Kraken somehow. So Brooks has been in the NHL a long time, so I'm sure he has some some contact or he knows some people who might feed him some things, uh, as, as has Friedman. So that's just something that seems far-fetched on the surface. I mean, Quinville obviously 
has got a really good Florida team that's got a pretty good future ahead of it. So it would seem weird that he would want to cut bait from there, but you never know what's going on behind the scenes. But that's just a name to just to keep in the back of your mind. So don't be completely shocked if somehow that happens. But yeah, well, although I, I still will be shocked if it happens, even though we're hearing these little these little uh, whispers. And the original article didn't have much substance to it, other than saying, mm-hmm. "Yeah, it might be a fit, and he might leave because of money." Mm-hmm. But he's still got three more years left on his contract. He's yep. so it's it's a question of him kind of mutually agreeing or taking a buyout, if you will. What's crazy about it is is how much it spread like wildfire. So now there's posts every day. I'm seeing people post on Facebook or on other platforms about like this rumor and it's an article from a different site that cites Larry Brooks's original <laughs> site. So it's like, there's only one article source article, yep. but everyone's running with it. Like, Oh, this is going to happen. And, and now it's getting constructed. Like it's a good possibility. And it's just like <laughs> how these rumor mills start and now they kind of spread. So be aware of that stuff. Yeah. Uh, I don't think it's completely out of the question. I think it's a long shot, but, but I think listeners should be aware that, you know, some of this is a little speculative, well, like we've been doing the mm-hmm. entire show. Not only is there only one article that this is all coming from, but even in that article, it was it was like an afterthought. It was like, oh, here's some random notes that I that I have, or random thoughts that I have, and it was like a bullet point, basically. <laughs> so it wasn't even like a full fledged, like, oh my god, I've investigated this, and this this seems like it's a real possibility. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he maybe he may have heard Elliot Freeman talk about it and put it in his article. <laughs> so. Yeah. Uh, that could be a source. So who knows what's really going on there? But it's just, you know, like I said, just to keep it in the back of your mind as something that may may come out of left field. Yeah. The one thing that I could like the reason I could see it happening in theory is because it seems like there's some financial issues there. And Quenville is the highest paid coach in the league. Right. So mm-hmm. if he's going to leave there, he would have to go to a place that can still pay him as the highest paid <laughs> coach in the league. <laughs> and we think Seattle would be able to do that if they yep, if they wanted probably. to. So um, we'll see. I, it is it's very speculative. You know, we're just a bunch of speculators. We're basically old prospectors. Right. Like we're, we're going out. <laughs> yeah. We're back to that. We got it for gold. Yeah. This way we got, got our, my pickaxe and my gold, my gold pan. I thought yeah. you had a bit of a Yukon Cornelius look to you today. Andy, I, I, so. need, I need to shave my beard. Yeah. Yes, anyway, <laughs> uh, let's move on to our bits. And our only bit this week is Sound of Hockey's Three Stars. Andy, right. your yes. star of the week. My star of the week is Connor Hellebuck from the Winnipeg Jets, who uh-huh. just completed a sweep of the Edmonton Oilers, which mm-hmm. I think surprised most people. And he was very good. And in the regular season against the Oilers, he played in seven games and he gave up 26 goals and had an 877 save percentage, which is pretty terrible. And I think Edmonton won five or six of those games. But in the four game sweep, he had a 1.60 goals against and a 950 save percentage, only allowed eight goals and had a shutout in there. That's pretty damn good against a team that's loaded with, with some of the top scorers in this league, two of them. Two of them. Two of them. And then Let's nothing else. But yeah, two of the top scorers in this league. <laughs> but what a, what a turnaround for Connor, Connor Hellebuck, right? Like coming coming up, it's, it's playoff Connor Hellebuck, as everyone likes to say about every player in the playoffs. Mm-hmm. Uh, my star, speaking of goalies who have turned it around, Cam Talbot. Well, he had a really, really good season, let's be clear. But, uh, you know, he was kind of coming off of some not-so-hot appearances in Calgary and Edmonton where he played behind not-so-good teams. Um, other than, you know, there's two guys that could score. We're recording this on Tuesday morning. He completely stole game five to extend Minnesota's season in uh, Vegas last night. The, the Golden Knights outshot the Wild 21-1 to in the second period. 
Um, and yes, I am kind of twisting this to be about my Minnesota Wild, but I wanted to talk to you guys about something. So I actually have an ulterior motive here. Cam Talbot has been really, really good. And we've just generally assumed that the guy who gets protected in Minnesota would be Capo Kakinen because he's young and has the upside. I don't know anymore. I mean, they clearly value Talbot. He's played every game so far in these playoffs. Uh, he played almost every game down the stretch. Uh, they left Kakinen in for nine goals one night because they needed to make sure that Talbot got a break. Like, I'm, I'm curious to see what plays out here in the expansion draft and who actually ends up being available to Seattle. I've always assumed that Minnesota also would be like, you know, they'd go for a skater because of the protection situation that they have. Because it's, it's not a great situation. Like, they're probably going to lose a Jordan Greenway caliber of player. But then, you know, if Cam Talbot is out there, like, the Seattle Kraken could do worse than taking Cam Talbot as their goalie, too. I've, I've never thought that it was a real possibility, even though I think that, like, you know, he could be exposed. But it just, it always made more sense. But now that I'm getting closer, I'm like, man, he has really performed well this whole season and in these playoffs. So I'm not arguing that he he's played well and the Kraken could do a lot worse, but he is 33, mm-hmm. right? But he's only got two and years that, left on his contract also. Right. Now, yeah. So the risk isn't, you know, if he kind of, you know, flames out a little bit in the next couple of years, it's not really that big of a risk. But, it, and, you know, you've mentioned it before, so I'm not going to take credit for this, but it's really about the landscape, what other goalies are available. Mm-hmm. And I think putting a bet in a experience in a 30 plus year old goalie as long as it's you only have one of them and then you have some contingency plans with like Aiden Hill or you know Vanacek from the Washington Capitals I think that's a good mix right because then you're not like all in on Cam Talbot but he is your guy and if he falters then you have kind of this contingency of a relatively proven player not necessarily uh, a starter so to your point is maybe that's how they get around the situation they're in with their their skaters is they expose whoever the kraken want um interesting of them pick yeah so i don't you know i don't know but do you know if there's anybody beyond kalkinen as far as the goalies in the in the pipeline yes hunter jones is in the pipeline and i think they have one other guy too that they drafted recently but his name's escaping me so so yes there are other guys but not who are like ready to take the reins so yeah we'll see john who's your star of the week i got off on a big tangent there A little minutia there. Yeah, a little bit Just of minutia. <laughs> uh, it was it was Kraken related though. I know, I know, I know, I know. Okay. So speaking of Kraken, mm-hmm. uh, Alex Kalorn is my three star. He has seven points in the first five playoff games for the Tampa Bay Lightning, and he's he's another player that's on the cusp of he's probably going to be exposed. Mm-hmm. And I always think it's Yanni Gord, Andre Palat, and even Alex Kalorn. I don't like Alex Kalorn as much. Only from the eye test, he doesn't look that fast. Mm-hmm. And I always think about speed. Uh, but he is performing, and he's and he's played well. He scores. So uh, they could do a lot worse there, and, and Kalorn's having a good playoff. Now, I do want to kind of go back and talk about the Andy-eyed curse Ooh. of the Sound of Hockey three stars. Uh-huh. We, we didn't we didn't bring this up, but you mentioned Peyton Krebs was your was yep. your player broke of the week. Jaw right week. That. Then broke his jaw, and then next week was Sam Bennett. He got suspended. Got suspended. <laughs> yeah, and then and then the good folks of Sunrise, Florida, and I thought they were going to get eliminated Monday night, but they didn't. So, they, <laughs> so you're lucky. But if they get eliminated, I mean, I think the curse 
of Andy Ide is real. Yeah. I honestly do. It could so be. fans were good again on Monday night. Surprise, surprise. The good people of Sunrise, Florida have been sent home crying. Way to go, Andy. Keep an eye on Hellebuck next <laughs> round, right? Yeah, you know how it's bad to like read your own newspaper clippings? I mean, yeah. people are probably, these guys are listening to, like I'm pretty yes. sure the, the, all the good people of Sunrise, Florida listen to the podcast yes I do who too. doesn't right yeah. and it's filtered into the locker room so that's how that's why crabs and <laughs> sam bennett got in trouble it's like what they listen to to get amped up yeah. for the game it's, yeah exactly three stars oh yeah yeah let's go baby hope i'm picked <laughs> hey that wraps up our bit let's move on to our interview with ben guerrero We now welcome on to Sound of Hockey a man who is fresh off of seven years with the San Jose Sharks, for whom he spent the last three years as Director of Media Relations. Uh, he's now the Director of Media Relations for the Seattle Kraken. Welcome to the show, Ben Guerrero, and thanks so much for joining us. Yeah, thanks for having me. Excited to be on, and I uh, can't wait to chat a little hockey with you. Well, good, uh, because we have plenty of hockey questions. Uh, our first question, <laughs> here's a good one for you. Uh, we all saw that press conference where Eric Carlson was eating the apple. Did you give him that? <laughs> did you give him that apple? Be honest. I've had a lot of people ask that question. I unfortunately I can't take credit for that. <laughs> that was. Uh, I think it's safe enough to say now that's Tomas Hurdle. Oh, okay. <laughs> trying to trying to distract him a little bit, but it didn't work. But. <laughs> that's pretty good. Uh, it was a very very funny press conference. And, you know, I think that like that might be the secret to making hockey press conferences more interesting is just give them different types of food. Fruit. Each time, yeah. Just throw throw random props out there. Yeah, yeah. ravioli, whatever it takes. Yeah, exactly. Plate of pasta. We saw some interesting things this past year with the Zoom pressers. How different did that make things for you in in your life? It seemed like there is definitely an adjustment period. Once it kind of people figured it out, it was like, okay, now we kind of get how this works. How much did that change your life? Yeah, I think. I mean, just like everything last year, there were you know a lot of adjustment for everyone, but. I think there are pros and cons to it. I think obviously, you know, being able to reach guys when they're in Europe or all over the, you know, North America, it was obviously a huge plus. Um, and then I think just the video aspect was better than the you know traditional conference call. Um, kind of see their faces and just it's it's a little more personable. But the first few months, there are definitely a lot of growing pains on both sides. Um, you know, all kinds of issues with mic muting, and um, <laughs> which I think everyone's probably played that Zoom drinking game and. Uh, you know, just, just issues with, you know, people walking through the backgrounds or, you know, dogs jumping up and, you know, babies crying, all that kind of stuff, which I think is still happening today. But um, I think overall, you, you kind of got a sense of these guys are, are people just like us. And um, I think that was the biggest thing was seeing them in their element and seeing them in, you know, on the screen and doing the same thing that we, are, we have to do every day for work. Um, I think it was pretty, uh, you know, kind of put them in more of a perspective than maybe we're used to. And so let's say that all COVID restrictions go away here at some point in the next few months. Do you think that any of this sticks around? Like the, I mean, there's obviously, like you said, there were some benefits to it, right? Do you think some of it remains to some degree? I think it will. Yeah. I think um, obviously we'd love to have the locker room open and have that, you know, face-to-face interaction, just being able to you know, get to know the guys and, and have a little more rapport. But, um, you know, it's just so convenient sometimes, you know, thinking about, you know, when we have second half of back-to-backs and maybe the skate gets canceled or something like that, rather than having the guys have to bust into the rink just to do the interview and then leave. Um, same with the media too, having, you know, the media having to drive into the rink and just do a quick 
you know, five, eight minute interview, you know, just being able to throw it up on zoom, I think. And now that everyone's used to using it, I think would be a huge, huge plus. Um, and I'm sure there's going to be things that, um, you know, that, that changes around, you know, I, we've, we did a lot of um, activations with partners last year where you'd have, you know, Oh, so-and-so gets to win a chance to zoom with a player. And may, I can see that going forward. Um, I think one of the cool things that maybe we'll see in Seattle, uh, there was a zoom wall right when the um, sharks would take the ice. And it was basically a, a number of panels and you could fit, I think it was 20 people on there. And then there was a camera that was kind of uh, zoomed in towards the uh, the locker room door. And so the fans could watch the team take the ice even while they're at home. And the uh, players, vice versa, could see the uh, fans on the wall and kind of give them a wave and stuff. So that was one of the cooler things, I think, that came out of this. It's crazy how such a negative thing can create some positive stuff like that. But, you know, we'll see. I'm hoping hoping a hybrid of both, maybe. Was postgame easier for you? Uh, less, less wrangling of, of people? And, I mean, it was, what, two or three players a game and – you know, the, the media couldn't just wander into the room and ask whoever they wanted. <laughs> it, it was easier and harder. It was, um, it was actually ended up being a little more wrangling just because, you know, on my end, I would have to be trying to control the zoom and then also, okay, this guy seems like he's almost done, but we got to go get another player. Usually on the road games, if there's only one of us there, it was a little harder because, um, you know, you can't be two places at once and the guys <laughs> are kind of aware that you're on the zoom. So maybe they try to sneak around, you know, the back, back entrance or something like that to get away um, so we kind of tried to tag team that a little bit we'd have someone at home moderate just because it was a little easier for them and then i'd be the one that just basically tried to bar the exits uh make sure the guys couldn't escape but um it was easier you know, you know especially i like i like when teams would have two guys at once too because they can kind of riff off each other a little bit mm-hmm. and show some personality and um, that was a lot of fun to see that. Yeah. Are you saying that the, the post-game press conference wasn't the number one thing that NHL players like to do? <laughs> um, you know what? I can't, I can't speak to them, but I'm going to go on a limb and say that it probably wasn't at the top of their list. That's they, weird. Yeah. When they speak, <laughs> not, not great when you see my face walking towards it, I don't think. <laughs> well, yeah, especially after a loss or a bad game, right? Exactly. COVID aside, you know, normal times, what's a, what's a typical game day like in the life of a, a media relations director? I, I always say this is funny. A funny question. Like if we do like an informational interview or something with a class, it, you know, if we were to talk about our, uh, our day, it sounds like about two hours of work, but there's so many random things that pop up. Um, yeah, so well, I guess we'll go with typical day. It'd be morning skate in the morning for a game day. Um, depending on the coaching staff, you're in there seven, seven thirty AM, you know, getting things prepped for the coaches, you know, whether it be you know, stats, all kinds of stuff like that. Then the, uh, the players start to roll in, um, in San Jose, I did a lot of ticket issues for the guys. I don't know if that'll be the same case here, but that was in and of itself, you know, just shuffling guys around as they're starting to trade. Oh, I want, I'm going to take this kid's extra ticket so, you know, my friend can come, stuff like that. And it taken a lot of hours. Um, <laughs> then uh, then we'd kind of open it up. Um, usually you skate at 1030 for the home team. And, um, you know, then we'd open the room afterwards typically. And the media come in, get the players, and then get sound from the coach. Then we do a lot of prep for the game rink. We'd head over to the game rink and, uh, you know, set the press box up, make sure everything's all set to go for the team. And then uh, usually we'd have, you know, pregame interviews. You'd have some sort of arrival interview or, you know, warm up, something like that. And then, uh, you know, during the game, the, the best part is we usually, as a department, get to watch the game a little bit more than other departments. You know, a lot of that is just because most are responsibilities are intermissions with interviews, you know, TV and, and radio interviews. But a lot of times also we have to be watching the game because, you know, if, if a guy gets requested and he takes a high stick, you know, 
30 seconds before the end of the period or, you know, something happens, you have to be aware of that because you don't want a guy coming off hot and, um, you know, dropping some <laughs> F-bombs and whatnot. Uh, so, you know, it, there, is a, there is a function to watching the games as well. And then, you know, after the game, we open the room within five minutes. Uh, media comes in, they get to talk to the players, and then we uh, have coach finish up after that. Um, and that's a wrap. You know, again, it sounds probably like a couple hours worth of work, but the the ticket part uh, we were talking about was, uh, you know, that's a, a game of musical chairs trying to move guys around. And then, um, I mean, I've had all kinds of random requests. Yeah, I'm not going to say names, but I mean, guys have asked me to book bounce houses for their kids' birthdays. Um, I, I had a guy, I don't, again, not saying who, but I had a guy whose you know son didn't make it into his basketball tournament. Uh, by the deadline, so I had to try to coax the uh, league to let him in. Um, I mean, there's all kinds of stuff like that that, you know, just like, okay, I guess we're going to do that today. <laughs> Make it happen. Are those other duties as a sign in your job description? Exactly. There? Yeah. Everyone throws that in. It's usually that last line. You know? Yeah. It's, Find it's, bouncy houses. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> so if you need, if you need one, I'm your guy. Yeah. <laughs> or at least you have a guy. At least you have a bouncy house guy. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, okay. So I do want to talk a little, like, let's get a little uh, journey through the life of Ben Guerrero here. How, where, where did it start and how did you end up uh, as the director of? media relations to the Kraken. Yeah, I think um, I'll try not to be as boring as uh, normal probably is, but uh, I uh, <laughs> growing up always wanted to go into broadcasting. I, it just was something that I thought would be really cool and uh, went to school for that and um, did a couple internships and part-time work trying to get to that level and got a chance to do some some games and um, realized it wasn't quite what I thought it was. Kind of had that little quarter life crisis where that was something I wanted to do my whole life and then all of a sudden now it's not exactly the light that I thought it was. Random fact, though, my my first game I ever did in uh, minor league baseball, Buster Posey hit a walk off home run in the eleventh inning. So that was that was oh, kind of nice. cool. Yeah, of course, of course, it wasn't recorded, so my parents don't believe me that happened. But, <laughs> <laughs> but you know, just just finally starting to realize that you're going to have to kind of look into other areas. And you know, I had done some informational interviews and uh, met some people with you know the Sharks organization and also the San Jose Giants, like we talked about, and. Uh, so I, I started doing kind of a hybrid PR slash, you know, everything you can think of in minor league baseball. Through that also met my boss with the Sharks at the time. So started, I was doing both sports at the same time. I was doing baseball and hockey. Um, did that for a couple of years, lived with my parents. It was a great, very glamorous time. Um, <laughs> and then uh, actually the, uh, so this was kind of a weird weird story so I, I had an interview with an nhl team a chat with a, the washington capitals it wasn't wasn't an interview but informal and the interview with the nhl team ended halfway through because the person i was interviewing with got the job at the capitals that i had been talking about so you're kind of you know two three interviews in and then suddenly the rugs pulled out from under you and the person's gone that you were interviewing with and you're you're like okay well i'm not getting that job so but then randomly someone um came in and they were you know took the names of the person that had left and um, I was actually offered that job. At the time I had a girlfriend in San Jose. I had a family there that was, um, you know, it was this, you know, same position type thing. And so I, I turned it down and, you know, I, I was close to a job in San Jose and didn't end up not getting it. So it was kind of like one of those moments where like, wow, I might've just, uh, might've sewered my own career here. And then randomly a couple months later, a, you know, a person left Washington and the person that I had interviewed with, with a, the other team just you know was in a pinch during the you know, middle of the season and asked if I'd come out for an interview. And I think it was 13 days later, I was already moving out to DC. So 
just a small world. Hockey, hockey seems like such a small world. Yeah. Um, so, you know, was out in D.C. for parts of three seasons, loved it, you know, fell in love with that city. It's a great place, great group of guys there. But then um, the opportunity to come home and, and work for my hometown team again in San Jose came up and it was just too much to pass up. And, um, you know, went, went back to San Jose, had some some great years there. Didn't quite uh, didn't quite get over the hump, but, um, you know, some some really good moments and great people. And, uh, you know, but then this this opportunity came up and just the chance to help start a team from scratch and just everything about the organization, the the fan base that they're creating there, the the community, everything was just too much to pass up and couldn't be uh, more excited to be in Seattle. And before we start recording, you were mentioning that you grew up in the Bay Area. Um, you mentioned the Sharks were your hometown team uh, and that you play a little hockey, a little goalie. Uh, what got you into hockey growing up in, in that area? That's a really good question. I wasn't the most athletic kid growing up, so I'd played baseball and, um, you know, it was it was okay, but I wasn't clearly not going <laughs> to go very far in that. And so I started, um, we actually, my dad got tickets to a Sharks game. And we went to uh, the game and that was the, kind of my first taste of hockey. And just, you know, I, obviously, as you guys know, you know, watching the game live is completely different and just fell in love with the speed of the game and everything about it. And, uh, you know, started playing hockey. And then I remember one day there, we didn't have a goalie and they asked if someone wanted to play. And it, I mean, when you're a little kid like that, throwing those pads on, it's a no brainer. I was like, yeah, I just want to wear the pads. I don't really care about playing, um, you know, threw the pads on and then, that was that was it from there. I don't think my parents were super thrilled with you know having to buy a bunch of new gear, but you know we got through it. That's how they usually get you. Yeah, just, <laughs> the equipment. just pop in there for a game, you know, it'll be fine. And then... Exactly. Yeah, <laughs> it, you know, it, it'll just be one game. Yeah. <laughs> Did you grow up as like a, a sports fan, or were you were your parents like into hockey? Like, was there some kind of avenue? Yeah, I was. My parents were, I'd say, probably football and baseball fans growing up. So we were all around, you know, sports. You know, we'd go to games, and um, you know, I played baseball when I was really young. Um, but then I think, honestly, the hockey thing, I think my dad just had um, some people at work offer him tickets a couple times, and we would go a couple times, and then that was it. That's all it took. We were hooked after that. that the hockey sh- quickly shot up to number one in our family. Our research says that you went to Chico State. Uh, probably not a lot of big hockey culture there. <laughs> no, no, not at all. I don't honestly, the, I think the closest rink might have been Vacaville, which is two hours away, something like that. So there was, there was no hockey up there, but I tried to, I tried to have, you know, friends, you know, we'd go to the bar and watch a game or something like that. I tried to coax everyone to watch hockey up there, but uh, not, not Same. a lot of ice up there. <laughs> <laughs> you mentioned coming up here with a chance to, to be part of a new thing. That seems to be a big draw to a lot of people we've talked to who joined this organization, uh, but you were working for your hometown team. Is it, is it surprise you a little bit that you're now moving away uh, and, and headed, headed to Seattle? Yeah, I think it, I think it does. Um, you know, I, I wasn't, you know, looking to leave. I was, you know, happy in San Jose and, um, you know, amazing group of people here, but, um, you know, from the beginning when Seattle was, you know, a name that, that came out there, it was, you know, you kind of had that interest in seeing at least what was, what was happening there and how that was going to you know come to fruition. And, um, I think early on it was, you know, intriguing and then just as the process started you know you start to talk to people that are either around it or are in the organization and you start to get that excitement and you feel that enthusiasm and um you know just the 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 chance to you know help build a fan base and and start something new is is you know probably a once in a lifetime chance i don't think i'll ever have a chance like this again so it just became something that i really wanted to try and a challenge that i'm really excited to have and Washington and San Jose, I imagine, are pretty different hockey markets. Uh, 
did you have to when you went from Washington to San Jose? Did you have to change how you did things? Was it was there more media, less media? What what was that? What were those contrasting markets like? Yeah, it's it's different. Um, that's the hardest part, I think, is getting to know the market. Um, you know, DC there was probably a little bit more quantity, and that was more of uh, you, you know you go into the locker room and everyone kind of it's a free for all there um, because there's so many people control chaos. I guess in San Jose it was more of there weren't as many, so everyone seemed to kind of follow you know our, your main beat writers, and so you know rather than opening it and having two three guys in the room at the same time talking, we had to have pretty much just one person go because everyone went to that one person and the other guys sitting there looking around, you know, like the, uh, you know, all the memes you see, but, um, it was, uh, it's, you know, things like that, learning how, you know, what they're interested in learning how they interact with players and, um, the writing styles and everything like that has been different. So, um, you know, looking forward to, to seeing how that takes shape in Seattle. So, uh, you've, you've crossed paths with some pretty interesting characters as, as far as players go in, in your career, Ovechkin, Thornton, Burns, you know, you probably list goes on even Thomas Hurdle's pretty interesting character uh are there any favorite memories of those guys or stories that you want to share that now that you you don't have to see them every day (laughs) (laughs) that is a great question probably a lot that i can't talk about necessarily Um, (laughs) no i I, that that, you're right that there's some been some great guys that i've been able to to meet and um you know feel blessed to have been able to meet uh you know they're great players on the ice but there's a lot of great guys off the ice too you know my first day in washington that group was really special they were kind of the first group that um you know welcomed me and you know i i honestly would not have left there for anything else but san jose you know ovechkin is you know fantastic guy off the ice just you know exactly what what you see on tv and you know i think some of the the, the guys in san jose were the same way come they come in and um just a really good dressing room i know it keeps being said a lot but there's a lot of good guys in that room that really make everyone feel comfortable and you can see why people come you know it seemed like they would make a trade and that person seemed to stay a lot oftentimes and you can kind of see why when you get to meet the guys because there's it's a very welcoming group jumbo is uh exactly what you see on tv you know the if he does an interview with his shirt on something's wrong so you have to you know, ask what what the deal is but um no i mean everyone there is, was was fantastic and um you know, again, I, I not no stories I can really share right now, but um, <laughs> we'll get them yeah, out of you. Trust exactly, me. Yeah. exactly. We'll we'll do a follow up and maybe we'll uh, grab yeah. a beer sometime. A cu- yeah, a couple sodas. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, uh, speaking of Thornton, uh, uh, shirtless Joe Thornton, do you have any of the uh, shirtless Joe Thornton uh, bobbleheads? I do. Yes. Yes. Oh that, man, we might have to uh, barter a deal here because uh, I've wanted <laughs> one of those for a while. Yeah, so. we'll figure something out. <laughs> okay. <laughs> right. So uh, Patrick Marlowe obviously had a had a big moment this year, and I'm sure the media requests were like insane. How do you prioritize all the media requests? Because I know you know Canada, like there's a lot of Canadian coverage that, and I'm pretty sure I heard Marlowe on a couple Canadian outlets as well. But how do you prioritize that in the grand scheme of things with the players that that are in high demand? Yeah, that that's the difficult part. Um, you know, it's a good problem to have when you know people want to talk about your sport and your team, but. Um, you know, with, especially with, with such a huge milestone like that was, um, you know, everyone was reaching out. Basically, we, we would try to collect everything ahead of time. And once we got basically to a certain number, we realized it was, was going to be way too many for him to do, especially with the compact schedule last year. It seemed like we were playing every other day. So we decided to do just one big Zoom to try to invite, you know, everyone that had requested. And then from there, you kind of go down 
the list. And we worked with him a lot too. I mean, he's been around so long that he has relationships with a lot of the media as well. And basically tried to say, okay, here's some people that either reached out first or reached out that are, you know, pretty high priority. Do you have good relationships with these guys? And we kind of went down the list and tried to get, you know, best of both worlds, something that would cover a lot of ground, but also would, you know, would help Patty you know, with maybe a relationship that he had already built. And again, there's, you know, you, you feel bad because there's already, there's so many people that you can't get to, but that's why we tried to do the Zoom that kind of covered as much ground as we could. Um, and he was great with everything. I mean, he understood the gravity of, of what he was doing, and um, I, which is funny. I think he understood the, what needed to be done for it. I don't think he understood until while it was happening how big of a deal it was. But, you know, he was great with it the whole time and very, very cooperative. Yeah, he's such a great, great player, great human. It seems, at least from from our perception up here, and he played Seattle Thunderbirds for a couple of years, which was a big deal to us. Uh, so we we were excited about that, or at least I was, being the Sharks fan here. So, um, <laughs> you, you know, you talked about watching the games, and I'm pretty sure you were at two pretty historic Game Sevens, one for the Capitals and and one for the Sharks. The Joel Ward game-winning goal in Boston, and then obviously the epic comeback and overtime winner in Game Seven versus Vegas. What were those moments like? And and where are you actually watching it? Are you are you down low? Or are you kind of in uh, the press box? So I I like to watch in the press box towards the beginning of the series just to get the atmosphere. It's obviously there's nothing like being in a playoff hockey in in the bowl, but as we get towards the end, I get, a, I, it's really hard to keep your emotions in check. So I go down to the coach's room and I usually <laughs> watch with our, our video coach. Um, Cause you can react a little bit more in there, but uh, <laughs> two incredible moments. And I remember being in Boston and it was such a weird year that year that, uh, you know, we were just happy to be in the playoffs. And then you start to get to game seven against the defending cup champions. And you're like, wow, we, we might have a chance to do this. And so it, what turned from, you know, we're just happy to be here to We, we might be able to, to beat this team. And, um, you know, just I remember watching in the that we were in the locker room. Actually, there was a group of us huddled around the TV because there were too many guys in there to watch in the in the coach's room. And I may have injured myself when we when Wardo scored that <laughs> goal. Um, I'm trying to hobble hobble out to the bench to make sure he could do his media, but um, it, it was a good time. And then the the game against Vegas was the hands down the craziest game I've ever worked or been a part of, you know, we, you know, saw Pavelski go down and, um, you know, the things that people don't think about, you know, there were so many people that were, you know, obviously mad about that play and whatnot, but you know, you see his family and stuff like that behind the scenes. And, um, you know, it's a, there's a human aspect to it, but then, you know, to be down there and, just be around everyone like you know what listen let's let's get a goal or two here to get you know at least give us a shot here and then just bang 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 like it just was like it was like a movie you know it was you couldn't (laughs) believe it i remember you know after the fourth goal i think it was just jumping up and like i had to excuse myself from the coach's room because i got I got like emotions. It was crazy. Oh, wow. uh, yeah. Um, and it, it was just uh, everything involved. You know, you seeing, you know, behind the scenes, the, the injury and everything like that. And then seeing the guys respond like that was incredible. Um, I don't think I slept the entire night after this. Um, you're just wired the whole time. So it was, it was a great thing to be a part of. You know, we spoke to uh, Jesse Granger from The Athletic months and months, maybe years ago, actually, at this point. It was about that same series. And he was talking about how there was so much like trash talk that was being done through the media, right? And they'd take a quote from like Ryan Reeves and then they'd run over to the Sharks room and get a quote from Evander Kane and it'd be just as, and, <laughs> and, and it was fascinating to hear. He was like, man, it was great stuff because the stories were just like writing themselves. As the person who's kind of handling the players from your side, does that get a little cringy for you where you're like, oh my God, they're 
saying things that are going to be inflammatory in the media here. Like, <laughs> at what at what point are you like, okay, let's rein it in, guys? Yeah, I mean, there's definitely certain players or or people that you worry about when they get requested. Um, <laughs> and uh, I have to say, like, Evander Kane is fantastic off the ice in terms of he gets he gets the whole media thing and he, he knows that he has a responsibility to do that. You know, a lot of guys, they're there to play hockey and that's, they don't care about doing that stuff, even though it's part of their job. And he, he gets that and we can have a sit down and have a conversation about, you know, this is why you need to do this and he'll be able to understand and, and, you know, be able to articulate back. Um, he's an emotional guy too. So it gets a little worrisome sometimes, but he, mm-hmm. he handles himself really well. And um, I think honestly, I think Pete might've been one of the, one of the ones that was leading the charge of the media trash talk that year, which was kind of fun to see the coaches go back. Oh and yeah, forth. that's right. You know, that's not something you have normally, but you know, it's it's <laughs> there's definitely uh, some anxiety that goes into it. But um, yeah, at the end of the day, you just have to trust your relationships with the guys and know that they're uh, they're going to be able to be professional. Mm-hmm. And for the most part, that's that's happened. Yeah, we also spoke to Tim Ohashi a while ago, uh, the head video analyst now for the Kraken, who also previously worked for the Capitals, and he mentioned that you know if if the team lost he would kind of take it personally because it was like well maybe i didn't prepare the guys well enough or something like that is there <laughs> is which obviously is like kind of ridiculous right like but i wonder if if there's some aspect of that to to what you do where i mean you've already mentioned how emotional you've gotten after some of these games and how how invested you are right like do you feel like you have an impact on what happens on the ice <laughs> i'm i'm kind of more of a pessimistic person i think by nature so i think if i if a guy does an interview and goes out and gets a minus on the first shift, I think it, you know, okay, that was probably because the interview, you know, he's, <laughs> he's rattled now. I, I don't think I've ever really thought that I've helped the situation. I'm probably the opposite. Um, <laughs> but, you know, at the end of the day, it's it's what you said. You have to realize that, you know, it, the, these guys are professionals and they've, they've done all this before and, you know, they go out there and they play their game. And I definitely try to stay out of the way as much as possible. Um, but, you know, we have a job to do and it's about doing that and making sure that these guys are then, you know, able to go out and play hockey and not worry about anything else after that. Mm-hmm. All right. Uh, one final question for you, because we know you're a goalie. Uh-oh. Your <laughs> oh, favorite, boy. your favorite goalie gear setup of all time. Oh, uh, that was a great question. Um, Thank you. I, I mean, agree. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, some of the early Sharks helmets with the teeth and stuff, like I think Brian Hayward and some of the um, Steve Shields had a pretty cool one. Yeah, um, the helmets Shields. always those always got me, you know, just a, being able to personalize it to what you, you want on there. And uh, it's a little touch of every guy on the helmet. Mm-hmm. Um, I actually really like Aaron Dell's pads though, right now in Jersey, those um, black so and red devils ones. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They're pretty awesome. Yeah. Those, those right now are probably the ones that's come to mind the most. He's been on a pretty hot streak lately with his gear. Cause when he was in, well, he's moved to what, like three or four different teams this year. And each time he's getting Brian's to whip up something very one of a kind, which I think is pretty cool. His, his look with the sharks most recently where he had like the black with the teal shark that was like looking at you. It was like, mm-hmm. it was scary. Was pretty yeah, well, I love that. I love that we're talking more about Aaron Dell than like Brent Burns or somebody like that. So <laughs> makes makes total sense. We're just guys. giving the listeners yeah, what they want here, John. Okay, there's two two goalies on here. So <laughs> yeah, I know, and I don't like it one bit. <laughs> All right, well, I guess that's time to wrap it up then. But uh, <laughs> Ben, it's been awesome. Thank you so much for joining us. I think our yeah. listeners are gonna gonna really like this. I I learned a lot about what happens uh, behind the scenes and what somebody in your role does. So uh, really appreciate you coming on and sharing your insights and not just saying things like you know get pucks deep 
play a 200 foot game, you know, the cycle, team effort, cycle all that stuff. Yeah. 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 We get it. We get yeah. it. All right. Yeah. <laughs> uh, well, thanks. Yeah. Thanks for having me. It's been great to chat with you guys and I uh, hope we can, uh, hope we can actually meet in person sometime soon. Yeah. Sounds good, Ben. All right. Thank you again, Ben Guerrero, for joining us. Thank you to Seattle Kraken for letting us talk to Ben Guerrero. And really, I'm pretty sure it's like Ben Guerrero who's like, yeah, sure. I'll let you talk to me. He's he's the media relations guy. (laughs) He approved it. Uh, No, there was was somebody else involved. And uh, thank you to the other person who was also involved in getting that line up. It's fun to talk to guys like that because they give us kind of a little behind the scenes, you know, for for people who don't actually think about what those guys do and and what their involvement is. Right. But literally every every time you hear a player or see an interview with a coach or player, it's it's been kind of arranged by a guy like Ben for whatever team. Yeah, that's right. He's like kind of cool to hear that. Of all those communications. (laughs) That's true. Yeah. All right. We now move on to our segments. And our first segment is Bad Boys. Nazem Kadri suspended eight games. He is appealing it, but he nearly took Justin Falk's head off in uh, in one of the games here between the Avalanche and the Blues. Do you guys think eight playoff games was warranted for this one? It's pretty hefty. And I think they're leaning on his history here. I don't know that if it was just some fresh guy who never had a history of, of a, a playoff, you know, dirty hit or bad hit, that it probably wouldn't have been eight games. Mm-hmm. But. He does have this history. It's always in the first round, it seems like. Um, <laughs> yeah. But yeah, I mean, that was probably a suspendable hit. And then the, the eight games is just, you know, it's, I That's, wouldn't want to uh, have to make those decisions. That's a lot of games, though. It's it's such a bummer because you just when you think he's like kind of right in the ship, all of a sudden, boom. boom like, yep. I like... Kadri in the playoffs. He's a fun player to watch in the playoffs, but damn, that sucks. Sucks also for Justin Falk as well. Potential Kraken. <laughs> yeah, that guy. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> That's a great point, John. Great point. Oh, yeah, it, does, <laughs> it does suck for the dude that uh, that got nailed in the face with the shoulder. So um, we're talking about the victim. Yeah. But, you know, it is a hefty suspension, certainly. But, I mean, this is exactly, exactly the hit that the NHL has been trying so hard to get rid of. So um, he did it, and uh, I think he probably deserves it. We'll see if his uh, appeal gets uh, upheld or whatever. Uh, Also, something tells me that the Avalanche are going to be around for eight more games in the playoffs because they look really, really good. Yeah, he'll be back. Also, Josh Archibald has uh, served a one-game suspension. What did he do? I don't even think I saw this one. He's the one that undercut Logan Stanley in game three between Uh, Winnipeg and Edmonton. And he plays for Edmonton, obviously, and uh, took him out at the knees, kind of like a almost like a chop block in football. Well, so yes, it was a <laughs> bad him. totally bad. But Logan Stanley is eight uh, feet tall, insanely big, <laughs> and and Archibald's like he, Archibald's probably like, how am I going to take down this redwood tree, right? <laughs> and and it wasn't a good hit. I'm not I'm not justifying the hit, but like Stanley is so huge. He's also another Kraken yes. candidate, believe it or not. But he's had a pretty good series too. He's only 22, but he's a he's so big. He's so big. Next time you watch Winnipeg, watch Logan Stanley, and you'll be like, that guy is Andre the Giant. Yeah. I've so, always kind of liked him. I always thought of him as like part of a financial planning firm, like Logan Stanley, Dean Witter, something like that. <laughs> or Morgan Stanley. But yeah, yeah, yeah. Morgan Loan Stanley, yeah. <laughs> right. Uh, so anyway, that wraps up our bad boys. Uh, we now move on to our weekly one-timers. Our first weekly one-timer. You got zoomed on that one, but that's all right. We'll leave it. Uh, Andy, your <laughs> this is the most Andy one timer of all time. The OHL is uh, <laughs> their players are set to run a self showcase in Erie. Do tell me more. Self run showcase. Uh-huh. Yeah, so, awesome. Uh, yeah. Well, they're showcasing OHL themselves. Players. It's a self showcase. Yes. 
for the draft, yeah. for, the, for the NHL draft. Mm-hmm. As we all know, the OHL never played this year, so they never got started. So a lot of their players didn't have any hockey. So a couple of players who played for the Erie Otters uh, got together, and they've organized a, a, a two-week-long showcase event that's coming up June 1st through 13th. It's going to be in Erie, uh, played it there where the Otters play. Um, it's been all player run. A guy named Brendan Hoffman who plays for the Otters is the one who's kind of spearheading it. And they've got like 140 players signed up from OHL players, some USHL players. They've opened it up to European players, and they just want them to come and have a, a way to show their show themselves uh, in front of NHL scouts. Scouts are interested. None of the OHL team of the league has anything to do with this. Players are paying their way. Each player has got to pay 750 bucks to to play, and, and that's going to cover housing and uh, you know food and stuff like that. So it's kind of it's kind of impressive that these guys have pulled this off here. Just you know, a bunch of junior players on their own with no help from the OHL. Very interesting. Well, something tells me they did have some help. Like whether it be their agents or, uh, or uh, maybe, but the teams have not had any or the league have had no. Known. That I that I understand, but like that's what I meant. That, not, yeah, that's a big event to put on, and you know these showcases are done all the time for like from college coaches when they're kind of evaluating you know 15, 16 year olds for players to commit. So the showcase concept is pretty common, but yeah, for an OHL pulling it off, that's pretty interesting. Yeah, a bunch of eight, 17-year-old kids. What's interesting, also interesting, is when during the U18s, the head of NHL Central Scouting was on with friend of the pod, Chris Peters, was being interviewed. And he made some comment about how the, the NHL was looking at some sort of showcase. But I wonder if they'll just say, oh, well, these guys are doing it. We'll just go there and watch them there. So I'm not sure if there'll still be another one coming or not, but we'll see. Great addition to the weekly one-timers. Our next weekly one-timer. <laughs> The IIHF World Championship is underway, and we've you don't see this every day. The <laughs> Canadians are 0 and three in seventh place in their pool. Uh, I think it. it's starting to seem unlikely that they're going to advance to the uh, whatever the knockout round or whatever you call that. Uh, are they going to get relegated? I are they going to be playing like uh, Great Britain next year or England? Well, Great Britain is in the thing this year, so I don't know. I don't know. Uh, but, you know, it's been a, a weird tournament. You would hate to see that happen. You you really would, yeah. Uh, it would be <laughs> remarkable, though. Uh, but anyway, so Latvia has beaten Canada. Um, I know Kazakhstan is, like, on this great run. They're playing really well. Um, so it's been a, a very interesting tournament there. I personally have not watched any of it, but I know that the outcomes have been quite interesting. So, hey, hey, Andy, Andy, yeah. who, who's coaching Team Canada? Oh, uh, that would be Gerard Gallant. Oh, huh, interesting. Oh, and three. Did he lose his last? Did he lose his last game with uh, Vegas? So is he like lost four? Pretty sure. I mean, that's usually what happens when you get fired. Before you get yeah. fired, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Uh, so anyway, that's the World Championship. Our next weekly one timer. The ECHL is expanding next season to Hwerst. Hoomst. Hwerst. Uh, John. Hwerst. There are two, two expansion teams, one in Iowa and one in Quebec. Now, last year, the Brampton Beast, we talked about them folding. I don't know if there was any other teams that folded, but they released the name of the Iowa franchise. Any guesses if you don't know it already? Mm, I don't know it. I know it already. Uh, the Iowa Bird Dogs. No, the Iowa... Heartlanders. Oh, that's right. I saw that one. I did see that. Yeah. So the Quebec team has not been named yet, but 
Where is that Iowa team playing out of? Do we know? The Heartland. Uh, Iowa. Somewhere in Iowa. <laughs> so are they going to compete with the Iowa Wild now? For <laughs> I don't think well, they're in Des Moines. So Iowa Wild are in Des Moines. I don't think they're in Des Moines. I think they're okay. they're going to be playing in a town called Coralville, which apparently is a suburb of Iowa City. Uh, that's where the University of Iowa is. Uh, our final weekly one-timer. Whoops. The Chicago Steel have won the Clark Cup. So friend of the pod... Ryan Hardy lifts some hardware. Congratulations to him. Uh, he's had some great, great teams that he's put together the last couple of seasons. Great teams. And last year, obviously, they didn't get to compete for the championship, even though they had a pretty elite uh, yeah, team. Dominant. So that's, that's good for him. I'm happy for him. <laughs> yes. Expect, expect his name to kind of percolate as, yes. as another option, AHL franchise or advance into the NHL. Like he's he's on a hot streak. He's he's pretty popular and uh should see him advance his career yep uh we close the show with our tweets of the week andy your tweet of the week my tweet of the week may be controversial to some people oh it's from igor larianoff the second mm-hmm. who plays for the kunlin red star in the khl yep. he wears number 69 he does wear number 69 that's right i was actually just about to say that <laughs> and of course his father is igor larianoff the first uh-huh um he tweets out randomly sweet caroline isn't a good song hashtag hot takes with igor and I, I gotta say, I agree with him. Yeah, I don't like. That. Did it piss off some Seattle Thunderbird fans? It might have. But speaking of that, I remember one time when Keegan Coles, our now the Vegan Golds Knights, was with Seattle. He was in the press box one night because he was injured. That song started playing. He walked past me, stopped, looked at me, and said, "Kind of a shit song, eh?" And then kept going. <laughs> ooh, ooh, wow. So he agrees with Igor. Uh, I too agree with Igor. I think uh, I've I've had my fill of song. Sweet Caroline <laughs> over the years. John, your tweet of the week. So my tweet of the week. It's a two-parter. Comes from Steve Whoa. Wino from the AP. Okay, uh, he's a hockey reporter for the AP. Okay. Uh, the first tweet is: Capitals are holding exit interviews today with players meeting with reporters, still virtually. Uh, TJ Oshie was first up and said he tweaked something in his midsection uh, during regular season game. Has thought about Seattle, but wants to stay in DC. Hmm. So that's that's an interesting tweet. But here's the exact quote from Oshi that Wino subtweeted. I signed an eight-year deal because this is where I want to be. There's always a chance you could go somewhere else or get traded or whatever. But I've approached every day since I've been here. Like, this is going to be my last team I play for. Okay. So there is, straight from the horse's mouth, the approach on the crack. Now... He doesn't necessarily get complete control of it. And obviously he's going to say that in exit interviews in Washington. Right. But I definitely think the Capitals will protect him. He was, he's still a prolific scorer. He had a great year. Um, He's still got some years on his contract, but I, I don't know how you leave somebody like him exposed um, with that kind of point production. So we'll see, but it sounds like Oshie is staying in Washington. In the other Washington, not Washington (laughs) state. It's not really his choice. If they expose him and Seattle picks him, then he comes. He has to go. Yeah. That's true. You're right. That's true. But Sounds he could, like he's he could influence it. Sounds like he yeah. wants to stay, but that doesn't, like, it's not really his choice at the end of the day. So we'll see. I mean, the, they would have to, exp- like, protect Daniel Sprong mm-hmm. So expose Oshie. John, are you, you said straight from the horse's mouth. Are you calling Oshie a horse? I guess I am. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> hey, have you guys ever heard, uh, you know, the horse walks into the bar? Uh, you know what the bartender said to the horse? My long face. That's right. My long face. Okay, you've heard that one. Uh, my tweet of the week is not such a funny one, which it's is like why... 1940s joke time. Yeah, I tried to <laughs> get you guys uh, chuckling before I got to my tweet of the week because it's really not funny at all. Um, but TSN tweeted out that Darnell Nurse racked up over an hour of ice time in Edmonton's triple overtime loss to Winnipeg. He had 62 minutes and seven seconds of ice time. 
<laughs> which is the third most time on ice since they began tracking that stat. Uh, now that is remarkable. I remember when we had that five overtime game in the NCAA tournament, there was one player and now his name is escaping me, but uh, that had racked up just under 60 minutes. And I was like, man, I can't believe they didn't get him the 60 minutes of ice time. Sure enough, Darnell Nurse comes out just a month later. Didn't Seth Jones get over the 60-minute mark last year in the playoffs, that five-overtime game? Oh, you might be right. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. All right, so this is not interesting at all. Well, hold on. But it's three overtimes against five overtimes. That's quite a significant difference, I think. Not to mention they were playing the second of a back-to-back, and they played overtime the prior (laughs) night. Yeah. Uh, Probably probably in a a – 48-hour window, he's probably played the most ice time ever. That's uh, that's pretty good. That's pretty good by him. Uh, unfortunately, it comes on a losing effort. The Edmonton Oilers are swept out of the playoffs, as are the St. Louis Blues, and the Washington Capitals are out as well, though they didn't get swept. Um, so there you go. Uh, this wraps up episode 139. Thank you again to Ben Guerrero for joining us. Thank you again to the Kraken for letting us talk to Ben Guerrero. Uh, please do subscribe on Stitcher, subscribe on iTunes, subscribe on Spotify, leave your five-star review on iTunes, and we will read it for you on the next show. Uh, we have not had one for a couple of weeks, and that hurts my feelings. <laughs> we will talk to you all next week for episode 140. Cheers. Wasn't the spring, and spring became the summer, who'd have believed you'd come along? Hands Touching hands Reaching out Touching me Touching you This song sucks